to the Fan Freaks Podcast number 48. You're listening to the show where we freak out about our favorite movies, games, comics, and any media in between. This is George, the Bone King speaking, and I'm joined by... Agent the Masterful Dude of Doodliness, the Phaser Rosa Place, the, ro- the host with the most. I almost messed up my own intro. Well, you know, sometimes you gotta remember your own name. You forget, you know? It happens. I never call myself the host with the most outside of this show. But you are. You're the most with the host. How you doing, Bone King? You doing all right? I'm doing pretty good, even though in the beginning I sounded like Sonic the Hedgehog. And I was like, wait, maybe I should tone down my announcer voice for like just a second. It's all right, man. Uh, so should I tell the person? No, nope, because I'm going to tell them what today's show is going to be about. It's going to be about your freaky five movie composers. Hmm. So, um, as as some of you may know, I'm more in the video game wheelhouse, so this is going to be a little bit of an exercise of my character. I'm going to test myself, and I'm going to actually pull up five movie composers. <laughs> of movies you've watched, I assume. Well, yeah, I'm not going to pick five at random. I'm just saying I'm going to see what movie compositions actually affected me, you know? Right? For you, I'd imagine it's easy, right? It is, actually. I made the list in 30 seconds. It took you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he's like, done. Like, it's a fucking, like, test or something. Do you want a gold star? Do you want Do you want the teacher to give you a... I would uh, like I a cookie. I would like a cookie. Good, because a pizza party's heading your way. But before that, let's get to our reasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you want to go first or you want me to? Uh, I want you to go first. Oh, such a gentleman. Anyway, so I'll go ahead and start with my TV. So um, I didn't see a lot of movies because uh, we started watching Casino Royale at the at the hotel, which I'll get into um, later on with our recents even more so. I stayed at a hotel for Fourth of July. It was fun. Um, but either way, um, we were watching Casino Royale, the original. Okay, the original. Have you, have you seen it? There's an original Casino Royale? Yeah, um, the one with uh, Daniel Krieg is not the the original, apparently. I didn't know this. Well, guess what? It's not even something you need to know because the original's pretty fucking bad. <laughs> ah, okay. We, we were watching it for like a while and we're like, damn, does this pick up at any point? Like, I'm not asking for explosions and tits and shit. I'm just like, some sort of plot development outside of just people talking in a room. And that was it. That was the OG Casino Royale. We couldn't even finish it. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm actually going to talk about a TV show that I keep hearing about, but finally actually sat down and watched, I think, the full first season. Um, Rick and Morty. Wait, you finally watched Rick and Morty? Yeah, I never saw all of Rick and Morty. I saw like the first two episodes and I was like, this isn't for me. I think I give up. And then I actually sat down and saw the rest of it with a friend of mine. And now it's just kind of like, I don't hate it. It obviously gets better, like as most shows do after the first couple of episodes. But it furthers this goddamn cliche archetype that like, yeah, cliches are in everything. I'm not saying because it's a cliche, it's bad. But you know how in House... He's such a smart guy, but he's such a dick. But you know what? He's such a dick because really, underneath it all, he's really a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that fucking cliche where it's like this snarky, like super smart guy who thinks that he's above everyone and therefore the only way to act around them is to be an asshole. Like, that's his personality. But then when it comes down to it, that means he has the biggest heart. Like, fuck right off. Yeah, like we have to automatically excuse all the evil shit that he was doing and saying because at the end of the day, oh, he's just a nice guy. Exactly. Just because he's well-intentioned, it's okay that he does all this fucked up shit. Like, exactly. God like God forbid we hold him accountable for anything. Oh, no, he's just lovable rascal. Doesn't have to explain himself for anything. And it's like, all right, whatever. But aside from that, the show has some funny like you know jokes in there i'm not gonna say it's not funny although it has a weird tendency on being meta for no reason like i mean deadpool's meta right like deadpool's right. meta that that's right. his joke but at least he makes a joke about it like he says something about the meta 
that that applies to the scenario or maybe the the villain's reaction to him commenting on the meta is something but like in Rick and Morty it's just like woohoo we finished season one guys we did it all right see you later and it's like what was the joke at the time <laughs> at it was a it was a topical joke because at the time uh Rick and Morty was in fear of getting canceled like people thought there wasn't going to be any more seasons that I, that's the joke hmm. but since you're a couple seasons late and that now it's very lost on me <laughs> it's it's like this cultural phenomenon because everybody and their fucking mother loves the show almost uh, let me let me rephrase that almost everyone loves the show uh yeah now that joke is kind of meaningless because it just seemed like a ra- like, but there's a couple of moments where they do that, where they'll just randomly reference that like they're in a TV show, but it won't really lead up to any like inside joke or, or anything. But regardless of that, the show has some funny lines. I do wish that they had more voice actors because it seems like the voice actors for Rick and Morty kind of do almost every supporting role in the entire show. Yeah, I also have uh. What's funny is I have my own gripe with the show. I think it's massively overrated. I don't think it's as Mm. smart, uh, creatively speaking, as most people claim it is. Like, there's that popular fucking meme that everyone talks about where it's, bro, do you understand how smart Rick and Morty is? Like, you have to have a certain type of intelligence to enjoy it. No, it's just, it's, it's, it's stupid humor sometimes. And there's sometimes heart. But it isn't consistent. The writing sometimes falls apart. I feel Dan Harmon more often than not is writing it while in the middle of an alcoholic binge as he's prone to do. And hell, the other co-creator, in order to do the Rick voice, he has to drink a shitload of light beer to get the burps right. Believe it or not. And now oh, he now he hates light beer, but he has to be drinking light beer to get the right thing. Could you imagine downing like a 12 pack of light beer and then start doing a fucking voice acting session? God, I, I can't wait to feel nauseous whenever I play this character. <laughs> like <laughs> Legit. Uh, I'm glad you got to see it, though. And you, yeah, I just, I don't think you're just smart enough to understand it. Cause see, once you're smart enough, you can start being a dick to people for no reason and don't have to explain yourself. Exactly. Anyway, moving on. Um, so I didn't see any worthwhile movies outside of Casino Royale that I have saw. So I'm going to move on to games. Um, I know I spent a little bit longer than normal on Rick and Morty, but I got to talk about House of the Dead Overkill. Hey, blast from the past. Did you play on the Wii? Um, I would have loved to have played on the Wii, but unfortunately, uh, we couldn't get the Wii version working for the stream, so we got the, the PC version. The Typing of the Dead. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever heard of Typing of the Dead or no? I, yeah, I've heard about that. Okay, there, I, I'm surprised how many people I talk to that are like, what's Typing of the Dead? Typing of the Dead is a the name of a House of the Dead port back in the day. They, they you know, House of the Dead is an arcade game where you shoot zombies. And um, as a, I don't know, a, a, an attempt to help kids learn how to type better or maybe just a way to port that game onto PCs at the time, they took House of the Dead 2 and they turned it from like a zombie light gun game into a zombie typing game where you have to type the word fast enough before the zombie gets to you. It was uh, actually recommended for people that were trying to learn how to type uh, faster for like people that were trying to be um, – I don't know if you remember Mavis ba- uh, ba- Beacon. Mavis Be- – yeah, Mavis Te- Beacon. Yeah, she. I, I thought it was Bacon. But teaches you how to use you know a keyboard and mouse and tries to get you to like practice that. And Typing of the Dead was kind of like – and it it's – if I remember right, Typing of the Dead came out after House of the Dead 2, and it uses House mm. of the Dead 2 zombies yeah. and assets, and it was just a really it, cheap It's port. House of the Dead 2. Yeah. It's straight up House of the Dead 2. Same story and everything, except instead of the characters running around with guns, they have, like, suspenders with keyboards attached to it. Yep. Yep. It's fucking pretty incredible. Uh, and, and for this, they, they, they took that with um, with the new version of House of the Dead. Uh, well, not really a new version, but for the spinoff of House of the Dead called Overkill. Overkill is a very near and dear game to my heart. That game 
has no reason being as funny as it is, as being as uh, have, having as good as a soundtrack as it does. Like, it's one of those games where it's an underdog that did not deserve to have as many good parts of it. But the game itself is still kind of flawed. Like House of the Dead, it's an it's an on rails zombie shooter game. There really isn't much to to expand upon there outside of like gameplay mechanics and shit like that. So what they decided to do was double down on the grindhouse aesthetic. So where the soundtrack is like this kick ass rock like just crunchy amazingness. I I would love to recommend it. In fact, in earlier episodes of Cannon Fire. That was the background music was the House of the Dead Overkill soundtrack. I don't know if you knew that. I, I did not. I did notice it was funky. I never got a chance to play Overkill. Um, I really don't like light gun games at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's fair, but I, I just I have to recommend it either way because this game has the most likable protagonists like the dialogue in this game i swear was written by like someone trying to be quentin tarantino okay and 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 the thing is like normally when that happens like people that try to write like tarantino they get really try hard like okay your boobs tits and ass and guns and you know violence oh you know so casual and that's that's tarantino whatever but no the way that this game handles its characters Every line is to further their quirk, not so much to be edgy, but to just show how, like, how much, how likable these characters can be. Okay, I I see where you're coming from. But but it's really fucking good. Um, Soundtrack's amazing. Voice acting's amazing. Isaac Washington is one of my favorite horror protagonists of all time. And the ending has possibly one of the most shocking moments in gaming that I'm surprised they got away with and were allowed to do. Can I ask you, did you play by yourself or did you play with a partner? Because most like gun games that I remember have two people that you could play with. Yeah, no, I actually played, um, I actually streamed it. So if you want to see it, it's on my Twitch page, twitch.tv slash boneking. Uh, along with uh, Brawling Barb, uh, we played it together, and turns out you can do uh, matchmaking online and do uh, a campaign together or whatever. But dude, can I tell you, doing a co-op game, a typing co-op game with someone who's just a way better typer than you, is just like, it's just not fair. <laughs> like, <laughs> he And the thing is, he's I'm not blaming him. He's really good. He knows how to type. Obviously, he types a lot. But, like, literally every zombie dies in, like, four seconds by the time it even shows up. Oh, so you, he carried you. He carried... Yo, oh boy, did he fucking carry me. Like, literally, the scores were just so fucking, like, earth-shatteringly different. It was like, oh, my score is 1,000, while Barb's score is 130,000. Hmm. <laughs> um, He's really good. He was really good. Um, but anyway... Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all the games. I wanted to gush on Overkill because it's just so... It, I'm surprised no one talks about this game. I'm, I am I want to talk about it with you after the show, dude, and possibly get you to play it with me because, holy shit, it's got some funny fucking lines. I am not good with the typing. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to piss. My crotch is on fire because of my piss in my bladder that's been sloshing from left to right. Is that how they talk? <laughs> it's one character that shows up towards the end. Oh, man, I love him. Anyway, um, I think that's everything I got for my recents. Please go play House of the Dead Overkill. Dude, hit me up. So I finished uh, – let's go with TV first. I finished the first season of Deadwood. I absolutely – I'm in love with the writing. The dialogue is fucking amazing. Um, it's a three season show. It's pretty fucking good. And uh, it went some places that I didn't expect, but I'm along for the ride. Uh, let's see. Is it a slow burn like most Westerns? Like, is it really slow? Is it more fast, like faster paced than most Westerns? Like, what are we looking at here? No, it's slow. Uh, it's character driven. Um, mm. It's really about the choices people make and the outcome of those choices. 
There's death, yes. There's quite a bit of death. But the death is usually at the end of a blade, assassination, because it's very much uh, political uh, in terms of how this town that isn't annexed yet by the United States becomes annexed by the United States and the obstacles that come to that way. Hmm. Colonizing. Yeah. And it touches on that. It really touches on that. Like, well, yeah, it should. That's like a huge major factor of the frontier. Yeah. I mean, like- <laughs> uh, there's one of the central characters is uh, a, chi- a Chinese man named Mr. Wu and how they dispose of the bodies in the town is they just feed him, uh, feed bodies to his pigs. All right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, how else would I mean? But at that point, but, you but can leave ever, a body in the fucking wilderness. No, no, no. It, but the, but what's funny is he's not allowed through the front of the bars. So the bar owners that dispose of bodies use them and work with them. But in front of everyone else, because he's a Chinese man, they want to look good in front of everyone else. They tell him to go in through the back for the money. Jesus. Because he's not of course. equal. You know, it's it's representative of that time. It's like those little things that you you want things to be represented. Like, yeah, this is a pivotal part in American history and it's fucked up. We need representation of that. You need to see it visually. Uh... So I saw a movie. Did you ever hear about Fire Festival? Mm, no. Fire Fire Festival? No. Okay, so Fire Festival was going to be this so the movie I watched was a documentary about the failure of Fire Festival. Fire Festival okay. was this thing that happened I think 2017, 2016. It was trending. Everybody was all these Instagram influencers were promoting it like Kendall Jenner. And she got like a she got paid two hundred thousand dollars or two hundred fifty thousand dollars to promote Fire Festival, which was going to be this avant garde music festival. It was going to be Coachella before Coachella. But it was going to be in the Caribbean. And it was uh, on this island that supposedly was owned by Pablo Escobar. And the the video footage was all women and drugs and music and, and liquor. And you can do whatever you want. So it comes out. There's nothing there. All the artists pulled out. And it was just, it turns out to be this huge scam done by Ja Rule and this Guy who's his friend who's now currently in jail for fraud, which works out in the end, right? My God, this sounds very similar to Dashcon. It is, but this was higher profile and with way more money than Dashcon. Dashcon is one of my favorite stories also. Same with Rainforest. Fucking get in the ball pit. Yeah, and same with Rainforest. Rainforest is also one of those funny failures of a convention jesus i mean it happens i'd imagine from time to time it does it really does i to professionals i guess i also uh saw very little i played um i was playing some hitman i was playing some hunt showdown i was playing horizon zero dawn just trying to get back and finish that damn game I'm having a lot of difficulty now trying to find something to play on the Switch. Like, I have difficulty, like, wanting to play something on the Switch. It's it's weird for me. Well, you know, that sounds like something Animal Crossing might solve. I actually hate the, uh, the concept of Animal Crossing. You hate the concept or the gameplay? Yes. It, like, because hating the concept of just having a life like nature simulator is very strange, while not liking the gameplay mechanic is understandable. I I don't consider it a nature simulator. I consider it a work simulator. I mean, it because def- it, it would depend on your definition of work, because some people do collect bugs and fish on for, for enjoyment, so... I understand that, but for me... I have zero interest in any of that. I have zero interest in like 
it's kind of why I fell out of favor with um, uh, Pokemon. I don't want to endlessly grind to collect this or this fish or whatever. I've seen gameplay. And from what I've seen, I am not interested in it at all. I... I mean, it's fair that you're not interested in it, but at the same time, I think a very important thing to realize is that a lot of objectives in Animal Crossing are not necessary. They're not really, like, things the game wants you to do. Like, the, I think you're thinking of it like, oh, grind until you get this rare bug, which I guess you could do, but, like, you could also be like me and just wait whenever the shop's open for clothes and just, like, get new clothes. Yeah, I, I don't... <laughs> for your villagers. I don't care about my village. I I don't care about that's, things that's like that. That's fine. It was just an example, but I'm just oh, trying okay. to say that there's more to it than just grinding. That's it. All right, that's fine. I mean, it sounds like we have a case study for a versus. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say this is totally a versus episode in the making. Um, <laughs> uh, what else did I play? Oh, I played some Tekken uh, for Fourth of July while while Bone King was in a hotel. I was at a friend's house getting white girl wasted. Um, nice. I played Tekken with some friends. Uh, I got really, really happy and enjoying it. King of Fighters, uh, not a lot of people like, but I feel King Wait, of Fighters. Wait, but which Tekken? Wait, oh, seven. Which Tekken was it? Seven. Okay. And I played. I mean, there's fucking a lot of them. I, you know, you might need to narrow it down. If it's tech and tag, we might need to have a fucking conversation. Yeah, nobody's whipping out a PS2 and playing tech and tag tournament at a party, man. Yeah, yeah, n- nobody, nobody would be so lame to bring their PS2 to a party. The PS5 is about to come out, Bone King. Are you seriously going to whip out a PS2? It's not just- my fault. The PS5 library isn't as good. <laughs> It hasn't even come out yet. Case closed, buddy. <laughs> we're just we're gonna have another versus the PS2's library versus the PlayStation 5's library. I mean, PlayStation 4's but library. It doesn't even exist. You uh, said it yourself. It already wins. Uh, and I also played uh, obviously Dragon Ball Fighters, and it was a good party. Nobody wanted to play Smash, which was surprising, but then everybody was down for karaoke. But that's another thing. That's another story for another time. Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, so, Boking, I know you do sometimes music episodes. Uh, I Can I include in my recent What Have I Been Listening? Uh, definitely. I'm always down for that. Please do. I actually wasn't listening to music. It's a terrible segue, but I wanted to include it anyway. Wow. Fucking psyching me out. What the hell is this? Fucking pop out much? I was listening to uh, Robots Don't Age, a podcast from Cody from Redline uh, Redlens Productions. I I hope I said Name drop. Yeah, name drop. Uh, Actually, it's kind of fun. He ripped us off a little bit, I feel. What? You don't bring them onto the show and then fucking say, oh yeah, they ripped us off. Boy. What the fuck? It's, how do you rip off a podcast? It's two people talking. Well, yes. Still, though, I, I challenge him to a game of Dragon Ball. Anyway. Um, they, these are unrelated categories. I just want you to understand that these are unrelated grievances, apparently. Uh, also, I was listening to Talking Sopranos with uh, Michael Imperioli and Steve Shrippa, uh, who are doing, which I think a lot of people are doing right now, which is re-watching The Sopranos or watching for the first time because of the quarantine. And it's really informative. I really do enjoy it. Maybe they're re-watching it because they thought they got interrupted the last time. I actually am one of the few people that like defend that ending. <laughs> I wasn't saying anything even bad about the ending. It was just that it cut suddenly. So maybe they just want to go back and think they fin- didn't finish it. Uh, no, but I mean, there are two actors that worked on the show. You don't know the cast, of course. Uh, Michael Imperioli and Steve Shripper were actors from season one on. So they never got a chance to watch it while it, while, while it was airing. And now they're doing it like 10 years, 20 years after the fact. It's kind of like, like an anniversary track. 
Yeah, they provide commentary. They provide a little trivia about what happens. Like, it turns out while they were filming, everybody in New Jersey, like, really loved the cast and crew. And they fed them. Nobody, they didn't, they had catering, yeah, because it's, it's, uh, did you know that Screen Actors Guild mandates catering? They mandate food for the cast. I thought you were going to be like, and they fed themselves to them. No. And they offered themselves a sacrifice. No, but uh, what's interesting is that the uh, the people of New Jersey that where the shooting was, a lot of the neighborhood moms and dads just gave them food. They ate a lot of like home style uh, Italian food during the Sopranos. Good. They didn't. They, don't they eat like in the scene too? Uh, yes, there's a lot of food being had. Yeah. So maybe you just had a surplus to stick it in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't make perfect sense for that. All right, um, do you have any uh, anything else? No, that's it, man. That's what I've been playing, watching, and listening. All righty. So let's just go ahead and move straight on to the news. Now, this is going to be a very dude-heavy uh, news segment because I, unfortunately, am not as well-versed in the FGC, but obviously some stuff is going down. Um... So, I don't know. Do you want to go ahead and give a preface as to what I'm talking about? So, if anybody who's even, uh, who's even like, flirted with the FGC, um, or at least tried to go competitive, or tried to do anything of that nature, um, you have people uh, that know about Evo, uh, which is... The biggest, it's it's arguably the Super Bowl, the world championship of fighting games. Yeah, to, it's to, like the one big event for a, f- a fucking video game tournament, really. Yeah, and it's a big tournament that that's now has two, it's two things. It's Evo that's once a year in Nevada. uh, Bone King, they even have it at Mandalay Bay, which is usually reserved for, like, boxing championships, you know? Well, I mean, it's a fighting game, so obviously it'd be in the same venue. Yeah, but could you imagine the fact that a video game tournament to be held there and it'd be filled to fucking capacity? Well, if I was a little Mac main, I wouldn't want to have my Smash tournament anywhere else. Ah! Uh, Thank you. Um, so, so we have... Don't say thank you. You're a fucking Incineroar, man. Get out of here. No, actually, I'm a little Mac man. I don't use Incineroar. I'm suck. I'm trash anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, Okay, never mind. Continue. (laughs) So, obviously, I've mentioned Low-Tier God and Zero Blast before. That's kind of been going on, whatever. And lately, I don't know what's going on. In the world, I'm glad we're getting this now, where we're getting a lot of revelations now. But Evo's CEO, Joey Kuehler, or Keller, or whatever, turns out he was uh, molesting children. He was molesting, like, teens, like, early teens, 12, 13-year-old kids. And thankfully, those kids have grown up and they've talked about it and now uh capcom bandai namco um almost every fighting game company i don't think there was one that didn't leave they all left evo until joey was fired and let go because there was a lot of damning evidence uh the kids uh, took screenshots of the conversations through twitter through direct messaging and he was very inappropriate, asking a lot of things, demanding pictures of stuff, and and it's just like horrific. This is a shit. story we hear all the time too, and in, in, in a lot of industries, Hollywood, and now in gaming, it's just kind of like fuck me, man. Why are there so many people like in these powerful positions that that have done this shit? And it really has done this shit because it's not like it's alleged. It's like. It's fucking proven. There's goddamn evidence everywhere. Yeah, I I don't like I'm not going to directly quote the messages. You could find them online. That's up to you listening out there. If you want to do that, do that. But it's some horrific shit. Um 
Like, like I'm happy that that this is all coming out, and finally the, these you know people are coming forward and coming forward with the truth, and we could finally have justice be done. But at the same time, it's it's also really fucking depressing because it's like, well, looks like the video game industry is no better than Hollywood. I guess I should have known that already, but fuck. Yeah, it's almost like it's taking turns or whatever because we started with the movie TV industry and now we're going into video games and wrestling. Wrestling also has its uh, speaking out movement as well. A lot of wrestlers are getting fired or suspended. Yeah, which is good. I mean, it's good that people are speaking out. It's just really depressing to think that all these people got here and kind of hurt all these people on the way. Like, goddamn. Yeah, and how... Absolute power corrupts absolutely, apparently. So we also I don't know, bro. Because um, like shit, when I read the headline with fucking Zero is also getting accused of some stuff, and it's like shit, man. I was watching his stuff for a while, and that's it brings up the conversation of like, let me separating an author from his work or as like you know a person from their legacy. It's very strange. Oh, well, that conversation's coming up now with J.K. Rowling and the shit she's been saying on Twitter is terrible. Where she, the shit she's been doubling down on, because even if you, like, disagree with the general masses on something, you should probably just stop tweeting. Just, just stop. And your, your, your sales and everything won't plummet just to stop. But she doesn't. She just keeps going with her stupid bullshit. And it's like, oh, my God. (laughs) Absolutely. And Zero isn't the only name in Smash that has been mentioned. Like, there's plenty of Smash pros, uh, pro players from Smash 4 and Ultimate. And it's just a, a tremendous shit show. The list is getting bigger. So I'm personally just glad that they're getting found out now. And going forward, we could have... A somewhat clean fighting game community because the community is important. And yeah, I mean, you know, better late than never. Even if it is depressing as all hell, it it is, it is, and we don't know, we don't know all the things because not everybody's going to mention anything. But you know, I'm glad that this is getting revealed. I'm, gl- you know, there's evidence, there's evidence of wrongdoing, and we need to not blame the victims and we need to let them air it out i think of it like this you ever play Yu-Gi-Oh and play the card swords of revealing light i saw that in the anime and i always thought it was funny all right the anime fucking cheats and none of the cards actually do what they do in the anime so don't worry about it but swords of revealing light means that all the face down cards get face up but no one can you can't attack for three turns, meaning the game basically like stands still for three turns. So in a way, I think of it this way. We're like, the FGC is fucking stunted right now because of all these revelations. But you know what? There were revelations that needed to be done. But we will pick up in the future, you know, after those three turns of getting this shit out of here. <laughs> I hear that. And amen, brother. That's actually a really good point. Right. Anyway. But um, I have a piece of news, I guess. Oh, shoot. Alrighty, so this is something that's been coming up on the stream every now and then, and I've had to answer this. It's pretty funny. Um, but Capcom came out and it was like, all right, you know that Resident Evil game we showed? The one that said, that showed the Roman numerals for eight and then turned into village? Yeah. Well, that game was actually Resident Evil Village, and it's not Resident Evil 8 at all. It's a spin-off title? It's not even mainline? I mean, this is what they're saying, but the trailer itself showed the number eight. It's in the logo. Just like how the the logo reveal for Resident Evil 7 happened. Right. So, like, is it that they just don't want people to call it eight? Well, like, if that's the case, I have fucking bad news for you. People are going to call it eight no matter what. Like, when people talk about games in a series, they're not going to call it something else unless it's actually a spinoff, like Code Veronica or something. I mean, sure, you could say RE3, you could just say Nemesis for three, everybody knows what you're talking about, but usually when you're doing a list, people go, oh, one, two, three, 
four, five, six, seven. It makes sense. You don't. Oh, yeah, Code Veronica, but the title yeah. still says Resident Evil Three. It, it, it. That's the thing. It's not like they said Resident Evil Nemesis. Don't call it Three, even though it's the third one in the series. In this one, it's like Resident Evil Village, and here's an eight in the village, but don't call it eight because that would ruin our theming. Like what? That makes zero sense to me. I don't. Somebody, somebody at Capcom has a problem with numbers. I don't know. I think most fucking studios have problems with numbers. Apparently, having a large number after your title is, like, a bad thing. But Final Fantasy does it no problem, so I don't get it. Oh, yeah. Uh, that reminds me. Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the most recent one, is a remake of the fourth one. But they don't call it Call of Duty 4. They just call it Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And there's It's ways- getting needlessly confusing. <laughs> it, it, very, it very much is. I don't even know what's going on anymore. I'm very confused. All I know is that they want people to call it Village. People are just going to call it Resident Evil 8 anyway, unless something else later on the line invalidates it as 8 and becomes the new 8. But as of right now, people are going to call it 8. I'm sorry. It's not even a thing you can just decide for people, Capcom. Like, come on. Anyway, that's my news. <laughs> All right. I, I think we're ready for the for the main subject. Or do you want to take a little break? Yeah, let's go ahead and take a quick little break. Uh, Let's go ahead and rehydrate. And then we'll go ahead and tell you about our Freaky Five movie composers. Hello, everyone. This is Bone King, and you're listening to the Fan Freaks podcast, hosted proudly on the Fan Freaks Facebook group. That's F-A-N-F-R-E-E-K-S Fan Freaks. Alrighty, and we're back. Gonna go ahead and hit you up with our top Freaky Five movie composers. Now, if you've been on the show before, you know what a Freaky Five is, where we basically pick our top fives of any category. Uh, I say it, and then you say it. We take turns, and we compare and contrast. <laughs> compare and contrast. Uh, dude, do you have anything to say about this topic? Um, honestly, this topic came as a... Uh, a- Honestly, let's be honest, a reason and something I forgot to mention in the news, uh, but rest in peace, Ennio Morricone, uh, one of the greatest musical composers of all time, uh, died today. Also died today was Charlie Daniels. Oh, wow. Uh, The man who gave us probably the greatest country song of all time, or arguably one of them, which is The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Oh, no way. I was going to say, I didn't recognize the name, but now I now I kind of do. Yeah. Damn. Well, that's interesting to me that that a, a famous composer of Western music and and a famous like country artist both passed away. Yeah. And what's funny is Ennio Morricone is from Italy <laughs> and Georgia and Italy are definitely far apart. Um, and and but. Ennio Borducci. Morricone. Morricone. Yeah. I'm probably butchering the name as well. But Oh, we're going to be butchering as many names as possible. See, the thing is, there are many, many talented foreign composers, and we will not be doing them any justice by fucking up their names, but we're going to try anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's that's the charm you get here at the Fan Freaks Podcast. That's why you come here. Indeed. That's why you come here. So because of this, we're going to go ahead and list off our top Freaky Five composers. So go ahead, dude. Hit us up with your... Do you want to do honorable mentions or are you going to go straight to five? I'm going to... I have one honorable mention. Okay. And then I have my five. So first off, honorable mention, get him out of the way, Danny Elfman. Do you know who that is? Hmm. Do I know who Danny Elfman is? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> me. Me, Mr. Fucking seen ass motherfucker in middle school. Really? Do I know who Danny is? I, really? Have you looked at my fucking closet? It's nothing but black shirts. Nothing. Nothing but black. You're going to tell, ask me who the fuck Danny Elfman is. Uh, do you know who Johnny Depp or Tim Burton is by chance? Like, my closet was full of Nightmare Before Christmas clothes, and I used to freaking straighten my hair. All right, number five. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, like, yes, obviously. Okay, interesting that that's an honorable mention, but yes, yes, I know who fucking Danny Elfman is. I just believe that his high point ended probably with Edward Scissorhands. Uh, 
I wouldn't even okay, continue. Just just continue. Some of his stuff isn't that great. He also gave no, obvi- he also gave an underwhelming score for Justice League. That's it. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh, because Justice League didn't have a bunch of issues that may may have gotten in the way of decisions in the soundtrack and whatnot. I don't know, but he also talks shit about my number five pick, and I prefer my number five pick over Danny Elfman. Okay, go for it. My number five is Hans Zimmer. Ah, that's a a good one. Super great. I absolutely love, absolutely love, uh, obviously, Inception, but The Dark Knight amazing oh and Sp- amazing spider-man 2 oh fantastic i didn't think it was that bad and oh my god that the soundtrack is so fucking weird it has like rhythmic talking like right. poetry right because he worked it's with somebody weird. else that he that he's never worked with before um, Pharrell, like you're acting like it's some fucking inexperienced partner. It's fucking Pharrell Williams. <laughs> yeah, but I've never heard of Pharrell composing a score before Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, I know, but I'm just saying it really shouldn't have been that also, bad considering how they're two good artists. Also, Hans Zimmer probably made the greatest soundtrack I've ever heard in my life, which is Dunkirk. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. I haven't heard it yet. Interesting. Well, watch the movie because it's a fucking music video for that soundtrack. Anyway, because the because it doesn't stop. It's two hours of anxiety. That's what it is. Okay, so number four is a little man that we all know and love, and we talk about him way too fucking much, or some say not enough. Uh, John Carpenter. Ah, interesting. Interesting that he's number four or interesting that he's on my list? Well, no, it's not interesting that he's on your list. It's quite obvious that he's on your list, but that he's number four, yes. The only reason he's number four is because the first three are way too important for my childhood. And Did you seriously just go like, he's the only reason why he's number four is that the top three are better. (laughs) It's like <laughs> no, the top three provide way too much nostalgia. Ah, uh, okay, nostalgic force. Gotcha. Right. If I didn't have nostalgia, he'd be probably number two. Um, I see. Honestly, he was at number two, but nostalgia changed everything. Anyway, John Carpenter, you know him, you love him. Halloween, fucking Escape from New York and L.A. He's he even did the remake of Halloween. The the latest remake, excuse me, the newest one. I forgot there was like eighteen. He also fucking did the remakes. thing, didn't he? No, well, he did not. Oh, okay. Number two on my list did the thing. Get it fucking right. Anyway. <laughs> oh God. Okay. I see. Now I see where you're going with this. Number three, Alan Motherfucking Silvestri. Do you know who that is? I'm guessing it's some sort of drama composer. Close. He did the Back to the Future trilogy. He also gave us the Avengers theme. Um, Great work. Usually always great work. Number two, Ennio Morricone. Obviously, I was going to have him on the list. The Man with No Name trilogy. The Hateful Eight. The thing, uh, yeah. As a fan <laughs> of westerns, like these would be the the thing. Yeah, you were saying that he did the thing. He did the thing. He did the theme to the thing. As a favorite of Carpenter, he did the thing for the thing. He did the thing for Carpenter. Monster Mash. Anyway, <laughs> he did the Monster thing. Mash. He did the thing for Carpenter. I don't know when we were doing that whole thing thing, and the thing, the beat in my head made it seem like Monster Mash. Anyway. Um, number one, 
and I hate myself for putting him here, but goddamn if this dude isn't influential, John Williams. I was actually going to ask you about him because I thought he did Back to the Future. No, that's a misconception. Uh, <laughs> a common misconception. A fallacy only told by liars in the composing world. <laughs> because as you can probably tell, Back to the Future uh, was produced by Steven Spielberg. And Spielberg and John Williams are like best buds for some fucking reason. I don't know. He keeps giving him work. But John right. John Williams does a lot of Spielberg productions. But Silvestri was picked by Zemeckis, and Silvestri composed excellently, I feel, with Back to the Future. It's I fucking love that soundtrack. Anyway. Um, I feel like the soundtrack to Back to Future uh, Back to the Future is so good it actually surpasses some of the parts in the movie because they don't even know what to do with it sometimes. They just kind of stick it on some scenes that are just kind of more higher octane and like, yeah, well, this song's good enough that it'll carry the whole thing through. And the thing is, it does sometimes. I'll be fucking right, yeah. Every time I get into a car, that's the music I play when I need to get to someplace faster because it makes me think I'm going fast. <laughs> Every time you're fending off terrorists and seeing your friend get shot, particularly <laughs> make the, sure to blast it. Particularly the Libyans, yes, sir. Um, <laughs> so John Williams, let's—he uh, did a who's who. He did fucking Indiana Jones. He did Jurassic Park. Um, he did Star Are you not Wars. Say the big one. I was gonna say like, there's the big one that you're not that's, saying here. That's not the big one for me. The big one for me is Superman. And the, wait, the big one isn't Hook. Wow. Oh my god. <laughs> to be honest, that was a great soundtrack too, though. It is, but you know, it's not. He did it. He did it too. But you just shit all over Superman right now, and that's my favorite character. I didn't. I did not. I was just mentioning Hook was good. You can tell me how good the Superman soundtrack is. Because it is when, good. You when you think good. of Superman, when you think of Superman, you think of the theme and the S. Those are the two things you think. And where honorable mention Danny Elfman gave shit to Hans Zimmer because Hans Zimmer made a different Superman theme, Danny Elfman fucking went into the Justice League production and they asked him because there was a, a scene that was shown as a trailer or whatever of Superman coming back and Danny Elfman said yes, just like there's only one Batman theme which is mine there's only one Superman theme. So he did John Williams score obviously in a Danny Elfman way but it's the same score and it's Probably one of the best parts of Justice League is when that score fucking hits. I don't know why, but when I think of Danny Elfman doing a Superman theme, it's just like bum 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 like a creepy Tim Burton esque Superman theme. Well, I mean, Tim Burton was gonna do Superman. Well, the thing is, you were giving Danny Elfman shit before, but he he made the best Batman theme, in my opinion, so... Uh, you know? I don't know. I think Zimmer's Batman theme is a little bit better. I do like 89 Batman. I do like it. Uh, I I feel like there's a lot of buildup in in the the newer one, in the Christian Bale theme, Batman theme, but in the Tim Burton one, it feels like a comic book superhero theme i guess it's just whatever you're looking for really yeah yeah it's true um but still that's my list what do you think do you like it i'm so happy with your list because it covers so much ground that i did not also john williams his scores haven't like they've aged like fine wine but i don't think he's doing as good of a job as he used to do i don't think he cares anymore <laughs> In my opinion, all of John Williams' uh, scores sound the same, but that's just me. I, I don't know. I I'm I'm the odd one out. Everyone really likes him, and he's not bad, but I swear everything sounds the same. I mean, 
Yeah. I guess. Wow. John Williams did the score for Harry Potter. Holy fuck. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Holy shit. That's, that's really prolific. Um, all right. So is it time for my list? Yeah. This. Oh, oh wow. This. this dude, God, what did you do? What happened? No, just a list. I like my Internet vomited out how many awards John Williams has won. And I feel like I've accomplished nothing in my life. <laughs> It's all right. It's just a debilitating depression just showed up all of a sudden. I I like this vomited out because it's just there's that many. We're just fucking just. It's just so much. (laughs) Anywho. um, So I'm going to go ahead and move on with mine. Um, I have two honorable mentions, but I'm going to say them at the same time. Um, They are both musicians that kind of featured as composers the two artists that got me into listening to composers would be mr trent reznor and uh mr marilyn manson now funny that i would say these two because they have a history together but we'll go ahead and uh circumvent that and you can go ahead and google search that um basically um Trent Reznor was in Marilyn Manson's band. Trent Reznor was like, I want to do more electronic stuff. Manson's like, no. And he's like, okay, I'll be my own. Nine Inch Nails. And that's that's the story of Nine Inch Nails. Anyway, so I just want to go ahead and give an honorable mention because Trent Reznor has been in a lot of really interesting, like, indie movies and shit where he just shows up and gives a very, like, atmospheric electronic sound. So that's, that's nice. Wow. And Marilyn Manson... What? No, I'm just looking it up. You literally said to Google it, and I... And I did. I can't believe he, he did the fucking social network. Yeah. That's no, a, he's been around. But that's a boss-ass soundtrack, though. Well, here's another thing for you. Do you know about Marilyn Manson's composing career? I'm looking it up now, dude. What? What? What is well, it? Well, I'll tell you right now, and I'll blow your mind before oh, you do. Oh, no. He did the Resident Evil soundtracks. Oh, no. The movie. The Resident Evil movie soundtracks. Let me correct myself. Now, not that the is, CG that, ones. You'd be, no, not the CG ones. No, the fucking the, the live action ones. And normally we'd be groaning at the live action ones. However, I would actually say the soundtrack, at least in the first movie and Apocalypse, was not actually that bad. The song Seizure of Power, while having one of the most coolest and badass names I've ever heard, is also kind of an intense theme and fits that movie very well. So I just want to give a quick honorable mention to those two. Um, so we'll go ahead and move on to my number five, Danny Elfman. <laughs> you were like, honorable mention, Danny Elfman. I'm like, oh, well, that's funny. He's my number five. Um, he is low on and, your and list, I- at least. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, really, it's mainly for nostalgic value, because, yeah, I mean, his more recent forays have not been super great. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of muddied, but I do appreciate his legacy as the post-scene goth man that I am today. Fucking, it built a lot, and it, it made a community. It really did. It wasn't just Tim Burton that made that whole culture, I hope you know. You know, like, we can't just attribute Tim Burton to everything. It was everyone he worked with, you know? It it all built to it. Anyway, number four. This is a TV composer. I go ahead and put it on the list because, honestly, I I could put another movie composer, but this is actually a composer I actually really like and, and was listening to, like... Um, the soundtrack for for this for a long time. So go ahead and just say it. Um, Daniel Leaked. Um, the composer of such hit shows as Dexter. Um, as well as, funny story, composing the soundtrack to Silent Hill Downpour and Book of Memories. Oh, he also died. What? He died in 2017. Holy shit, what? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, just like What the fuck? Oh my god, I, I'm looking at it too. Yeah, oh my god. All right, well, fucking rest in peace. Holy shit. 
Um, he put together a very nice um, soundtrack for, for Dexter. It's a very beautiful soundtrack using tones of Miami and other Hispanic influences while still having an atmospheric, moody like thing that a killer would have. You know, it, it, it is very well done. And even for the shitty Book of Memories game, like he managed to make some okay tracks regardless of the shitty game that was tied with it. So I have to give him credit. I'm really, really fucking disheartened to hear that he passed away so soon, so recently. Um, but yeah, I guess shit, man. We're dropping like flies. Synecdoche, New York. We're all gonna die. Anyway, number three. Um, have you ever heard of Joe Hisashi? No. Joe Hisashi is sort of a Studio Ghibli alumni, and I'm sure you've heard of Studio Ghibli. that I know. Yeah, so he's responsible for a lot of the the Studio Ghibli tracks. Um, Namely, you know, Kiki's Delivery Service. I think he did Howl's Moving Castle. I'm looking at the thing now. He did Ponyo. He does a lot of them. Oh, yeah, Howl's Moving Castle. Princess Mononoke. He, He literally, like, does some of the world building for a lot of studio Ghibli films. But the one that, that really sealed the deal for me is uh spirited away. I, I will always go on record in saying that spirit away was the only movie that I watched that made me feel like I was living in that world for weeks, even though the movie is only like an hour and a half long. It's, it's very easy to get immersed in spirit away. And I think a lot of that is due to the the music, and that goes to the composition. So that goes um, straight into Joe Hisashi, um, and I'm no doubt butchering his name, but like I just want to show my appreciation there. Anyway, number two, John Carpenter. Bold to have him at two. Yeah, I I don't have him at one because my number one, I feel like, is better at at building a world for a longer period of time, whereas I feel like John Carpenter is so good at building tension when there's tension needed to be built. You can't listen to the Halloween score on loop without it kind of getting annoying, in my opinion. You have to, like... You have to time it right, and that is part of what being a composer is. So don't get me wrong and say that, like, oh, I think it's boring or something, because it definitely isn't. The way the Halloween soundtrack is made is not meant for you to play, like, on loop 24-7. You're supposed to play specific parts to what specific things are happening on screen, like a fucking Tom and Jerry cartoon. You know what's what's great is that you put him at two, I put him at four, and I argued that I would put him at two. And that makes me yeah, happy that he's, re- he's really fucking good. He is really fucking good. Because part of being a composer is not like, it, it, it's being able to build tension, to build a scene, to immerse yourself. It's not so much about always making a beautiful song or something, you know, catchy that you'll be humming to yourself, even though the Halloween theme is possibly one of the most memorable fucking slasher themes in existence. Um, you're supposed to build the atmosphere. You know how Akira Mayoko uses silence? In a lot of his production, mm-hmm. like that is why you need to be able to have the music reflect what the audience is supposed to feel. That is your your purpose as a composer, not necessarily to turn out awesome hits. I'm looking at you, Marilyn Manson. Um, <laughs> um, but beyond that, yeah, uh, that's why I feel like John Carpenter really takes the spot because like he is able to build the scene almost solely on the music, which is pretty bonkers in my opinion can i can i add just one piece of trivia sure because of john carpenter's taste in music it's and and his scores is the reason why robert rodriguez does his own scores and he he, he's fucking inspired a whole bunch of people yep fucking like the whole stranger things goddamn phenomena is thanks to him yeah, actually, yeah, that's a really good point. You know what, man? Maybe we should do a retrospective on John Carpenter's career. 
Maybe it'd actually be really, really in depth. I, I far, as far as I know, he actually has a lot of things under his belt. I'm looking at it now. He really does, actually. Some of those. Well, 34 credits is not a lot now that I think about it. Yeah, but that's a, a good amount for. I don't know. Big Trouble in Little China's in here. That's pretty good. That's. <laughs> yeah, but also John Carpenter's Vampires. I love that movie. You know, Escape from New York. I'd say the soundtrack and the main character are probably the two things I like the most from that. It gave a snake. That, exactly. That's exactly why. But the story itself, I'm not a big fan of. Anyway, this didn't turn into a John Carpenter po- uh, podcast. Just, you know, know that he's my number two because he's really good and much more than a number two to me. <laughs> okay, my number one. Um, so if you've been listening to the show, you should be able to guess this. Um, and since I haven't been able to pick any video game composers, it's not Akira, it's not Shoji Maguro, it's not Oliver Duvier, it's not, you know, um, Keiji Okabe, it is, I, it's just weird because really, this is just solely based on the atmosphere and the mood he builds, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to Angelo Badalamenti. For those of you who don't know who that is, that would be the composer of Twin Peaks and many other a David Lynch film. Oh, um, fuck it seems as me. though David has a favorite composer. <laughs> how did I, 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 I? How did I not see that coming? You have to understand. Like, yes, yes, all these other composers that I've list, listed have been able to build an atmosphere that is specific to the tone of that film. Whereas I feel like. Angelo is able to go beyond that so much more as like in in enforce the genre that it's trying to give like Twin Peaks a lot of the the soap opera elements wouldn't be there if it wasn't for his score so like to have that juxtaposition with David Lynch's like love for industrial sound effects which by the way inspired Akira to make the Silent Hill soundtracks like if you were wondering by the way the dude all those like rock parts like smooth rock parts and all the silent hill soundtracks like the lower the lower intensity segments that aren't industrial intense shit like all that is thanks to the twin peaks soundtrack you know that right i i didn't but thanks because like the juxtaposition between that industrial heaviness and like sweet love songs is what I think Silent Hill was going for with the Mary Elizabeth McGlynn songs so like my favorite soundtracks of all time are thanks to him, to Angelo. Because, you know, as I said before, it's not so much about making a good song. You have to be able to make the viewer get into the mindset that the director wants you to be in. So to give you something very jarring, something very intense, something that shakes you to your core, it it, it gets your attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, Mulholland Drive, fucking, I don't know, I'm looking at all these, other, damn, he's been in a lot of random shit. He did the soundtrack to The Wicker Man. Wow. <laughs> Which Wicker Man? I don't even know that. Uh, um, The Wicker Man 2006. That would be fucking, oh my god, Indigo Prophecy. Holy shit. So he's had some lower points. Um, Cabin Fever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know whether or not... Is it possible to switch two with him and and John Carpenter just from looking at his lower parts of his career? No. Wait a minute. Hold on. Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Never mind. He's back at number one. (laughs) Anyway. um, But yeah, um, that's my list. I'll go ahead and go through it really quick. Number five was Danny Elfman. Number four was uh, Daniel Licht. Number three was Joe Hisashi. Number two was John Carpenter. And number one was Angelo. Ugh, I, I'm going to massacre this every single time. Bada Lamenti. He's, he's Italian, yeah? Really? I'm just asking. I mean, with a name like Bada Lamenti, you'd think. But really, I'm reading on his page. Apparently, he's a New Yorker from New York. New York, New York, USA. Well, his family's probably Italian. 
<laughs> or at least he knows somebody Italian. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, you have to know somebody Italian in New York. It's law, you see. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I hope this was a nice episode talking about composers. We hope to talk about other composers and other um, medias as well. I can't wait for the video game composer episode so then I can go ham talking about fucking Akira. <laughs> if you like this episode, check us out on the Fan Freaks Facebook, F-A-N-F-R-E-E-K-S, Fan Freaks. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. Me, you can find at Bonking TV, or you could find him at Adrian M-D-O-D. And be sure to tell us your top Freaky Five movie composers over on Twitter or on the Fan Freaks Facebook. And maybe we'll say some of your answers on the next episode. So, uh, yeah, be sure to hit us up. Also, uh, quick question. Who won uh-huh. in the Twitter poll? Do you know? Or is it a tie right oh, now? Oh, from previous. Oh, from the previous. Okay, yes. We put on Twitter the um, a poll from our previous episode talking about our movie pitches um, and who would be our in our dream horror movie. So we put it on on Twitter and we had people vote on it. And it seems as though the dude, you won. Thank you. Thank you. Round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Now, this is is not to say that I'm going to let this get to my head, but I will say that uh, I have an erection. The king put up a, a really good pitch. He just got way too into it, just like a David Lynch would. So, and that is, that was his director, if I remember. So, you know, you would probably be picked up by an A24 and I would probably be picked up by Universal. So we would both no, get, but we would both I get made. To, I would have wanted to be A24, but knowing me, it would be like, your movie's too artsy. Fucking release it on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> Either way, uh, yes, I will definitely concede. You had the more, um, you know, the more simple premise that was able to easier to get into. It was get in, get out, have the adventure, have fun. I got way too caught up in the details, and that's something got to meddle over. Listen, the first draft is never the final draft unless you're M Night Shyamalan. Good night. 